So the funniest tweet I think I saw about them was uh, someone was like, when is Tyler Perry going to uh, do y'all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. With the apostrophe. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, we had, I had to find the humor in all of the vitriol and outrage. I don't know about you. Yeah, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of people talk about it and they're like, why did this need to exist? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that's what I was. I was like, what? They're like, why does this need to exist? We already know what happened. Um, actually, you know, on the side is like Barry Jenkins is doing that Underground Railroad series. Right. And, um, and I have a chance to. I had a chance, actually, the window is very small to get in on a group interview, but I'm like, I, I don't kind of just don't want to. I don't know. I, I think I'm getting fatigued with the whole historical aspect of black trauma and especially, you know, showcased in them. And I just I don't want to see it anymore. I want to see new stories. I want to see different angles. We have other stuff to worry about as well as historical trauma, you know? I, I think the, the, yeah, the problem is, is that I think that there's a lack of mainstream variety, perhaps. This is a very complicated conversation because I don't think anyone, I, I in my heart of hearts, even when they say one thing, I, I don't think anyone is saying, no more, but we're also saying, mm -hmm. I think everyone is kind of responding to why is this always the thing that gets green light? Why is there's always this rush to show um, racism and white supremacy and all of these traumas that are infringed upon non-white bodies in these antiquated historical contexts uh, that kind of, that do the, that again, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before, that can do the kind of disassociate disassociative removal of like especially white viewers kind of saying well that's not me and it's just like nigga those are you like you know I yeah. just you know where I kind of like I kind of have a, a very you know visceral or frank reaction when I kind of when I kind of hear these sentiments are kind of like am assuming that these sentiments are kind of swirling in the ether so I I, I, I think there's room for both but for today's you know, discussion or what we're going to be discussing, I think what drove this particular episode that we're going to have is how I got angry or I am angry or I not just really, I guess angry is not the right word. It's kind of like exhausted with the idea of, I think as, as a, again, I think, and I say this as a privileged person, as an inside person who's been doing the work and who has this knowledge, but also I'm like, I think we, but I also think we as a company of blacks, to use Yamanika Saunders' words, <laughs> is <laughs> to, we also need to be very, we need to change the, the way we kind of move in these kind of spaces when we're looking for entertainment is we have to look at these indie other projects where we have the internet that gives us they get that puts the world in front of us in front of our screens where we could just type and look for different 
you know, short films. We can look for web series. We can look for all of these different things. Just because a web series doesn't have to be tied to just an Issa Rae. Like, no, there are other people who are creating content, the kind of content that you are bitching and complaining about on Twitter that actually exists. And that's why, you know, people are just like, why does black horror always have to be Jordan Peele? Why does black horror have to be all this, that, and the third when the stuff that you are probably not cognizant of wanting exists, but these people are not getting these opportunities or their foot in the door because people are not watching their work. Totally agreed. It is a, it is an exhaustion. It is a frustration that we're seeing just the same thing kind of regurgitated and people saying, well, it's a new, we're, we're retelling history in a new way. No, you're not. You're telling it in a very um, kind of easy way. It's easy to show the the grief and the trauma that black people have gone through. So yeah, and it's it, it's there's a laziness that people kind of wait for things to come to them. Well, you know, look what we've got. We got them and it it is not what we ordered. <laughs> you know? A big part of that is um even within the text itself, and this, and folks, this is not a them podcast, but it's kind of an introduction again to what I just said of why we're doing this. But basically, I think another big issue with them, especially the other um, critical analysis that I've read about it or reviews, is there's no balance. Like, where's the joy that this family has? Um, I even have a hard time. Now, granted, every we all. This is not a story that is that is not uncommon but there have always been first there's always been a first black family on in a neighborhood or on a block that that's that's definitely happened but i keep but with them um i keep sidebar i keep scratching my head and thinking why in god's green earth would you move to such a virulent racist neighborhood like there's no i i I don't like even in the 50s i don't feel like our ancestors were just like I just want to make myself even more tired by positioning myself in a space where I have to deal with the nonsense, um, even like in my own home or even in my own neighborhood or my own yard, my, 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 my sanctuary, my domicile is, has, I have to deal with the anxiety of what's going on outside of it because people hate us so much for just existing here. That, and, and, so I think the problem that I feel like some critics have with them is, just, again, where's the joy? Where, is this, does this family have a refuge in something? And I think, I think as Black people, we've always had a refuge in something. We've always found some way to cope with everything that's going on outside and even going on within ourselves as well. There's always some, there's no, but there's none. Of, I don't think that them has any of that as well. It's just all trauma, 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 ghosts of the past, mm-hmm. ghosts of the past and all the like all the all the surfacey fluffy racism that that some people have convinced themselves don't exist anymore so well i'll tell you one thing two things the in them again it's this is not a them critique but it is a critique but i you know i noticed her um uh lucky's refuge was outside of the neighborhood with her um cousin or or her husband's cousin or whoever they were hairdresser Mm -hmm. so there's that but I can give you a perspective that my family, we moved into a predominantly white um, Ukrainian, Eastern European neighborhood. And that was because my parents got a cheap house. (laughs) So, you know, in that neighborhood, I mean, I don't think Eastern Europeans are are what you would call 
the the you know the top of white supremacy anglo-saxon um yeah they're not anglo-saxon they're also this was an immigrant neighborhood but it was predominantly white um and a lot of the black families lived south of where like there was like a dividing line south of where we lived was where all the black families lived in the community housing so and again, my parents just bought because they said, oh, it's a nice neighborhood. There's trees. You know, I want we want our girls to grow up here. And there was a school close by. It was all basically like geography and they just liked the house. And my mom wanted to move to a nicer neighborhood because I think we were coming from um, we were coming from Brooklyn. So, you know, she's like, oh, you know, and I think we moved from uh, the States to a shared house with uh, my mom's best friend and her family. And then I think they found a house and then we found the house, which was not far because they liked the West end of Toronto. And then we found something that was comparable and my parents bought it. Of course, I don't know if it's because we're West Indian or what, but the kind of racism which was subtle. Let me just tell you, we didn't have like racist doll dolls hanging off of our house for what I can remember as a kid. Um, but we had subtle racism. So, you know, our neighbors took a, uh, one of our neighbors took them a long time to warm up to my family, but I'll tell you this, they were super like wonderful people. When my dad was really sick, they would drive him to the hospital and stuff. So, mm-hmm. They, but when we first moved in, they were like, who this, you know, um, they were not pleased that there was a black family living there. So there, I guess there's like different levels of racism, but again, with them, it was just so, I guess, forced and uh, hyper violent and, and it was just too much, you know? So it was uh, yeah which doesn't surprise me it was par for the course sure but Mm -hmm. it just Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean one more thing before we get started Mm -hmm. it's it's, Mm -hmm. there's also way too much focus on the white characters like you're not there's no way you're expecting me to sympathize with any of these people for any reason absolutely it (laughs) it was it was it was framed that way it was framed like we were supposed to and it's just like Again, that's why people were asking in their reviews or even online, like, who is this? Who is this show for? And if it's for white folks, then just say that. But don't try to frame this as some kind of like. I, I will say, Angelica uh, Jade Bastian's. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Her review on Vulture was mm-hmm. like, damn, like it was the mic drop of everyone's critique of this show. And she even said, like, the thing, I, I, I'm i still in the middle of, like, reading it again because it is so re-readable. Um, mm-hmm. Her saying, you know, Little Marvin, which, oh, just God, these names. Um, yeah, I just I just went black and bougie with that one. But he, he was, like, you know, saying how I'm inspired by Hitchcock and what would it look like if you put a black woman in those frames that where Tippi Hedren was or where Janet Lee was. And Angelica was just like, okay, but you're just biting on him. You're not remixing it. And it just feels lazy and it feels limiting to your own uh, amateurist ways as a filmmaker. And I was like, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm also like, yeah, like she went for the jugular, but in a, in a beautifully articulate way and also one that 
I, I can't really argue with that argument. I can't because I think well, that's no. part of the frustration. Well, and also, I mean, I felt like, you know, I watched a few interviews with him because I, I wrote a review, which I now really would like to reframe because <laughs> it was too nice. But I did say I um, that I didn't care about the backstory of, of the racist. Who cares? Yeah, They're who racist. Cares? end of story like black people don't care about oh well you were treated badly and oh and that's why no no that has nothing to do with you being a racist so there's that point there but um i just really thought that he was mentioning other you know filmmakers other um director directing greats as almost like a name droppy kind of oh well you know i've got this thing like kind of a film school um, paper type of interview where you know yeah I wanted to do this it's like if you wanted to emulate Tippi Hendren this this really has nothing to do with that it, it, the, the film other than the the optics and and mm-hmm. and the beautiful the set design was gorgeous the 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 costuming was gorgeous um, they got it down they got the the period the era down I'll give them that but I don't like other than that, you can't just name drop and say, yeah, I was inspired by X, Y, Z because it's obviously you've done something completely different and it's just fine, but there's no, it's not an homage. It's garbage. How about that? Wow. <laughs> when I, when I, I put out my first tweet about it, I just said, I, 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 I had only seen the first two episodes. So I'm just like, you, my, whole approach to it is just like oh this is interesting enough to keep watching and you do care about the family you care about them Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there is there is that pull because you want to see them win you want to see them but you don't want to see them traumatized over and over and over again you don't want to it's i'm not even going to get into like a black nationalist perspective again of like why in Mm -hmm. the world would you want to integrate when they don't want us when they i just I, i'm not gonna get into that i, I i'm resisting well, the urge <laughs> but i mean i think that's why everybody's so upset because you do care about these people the little girls are cute the the couple is so you know they're so sweet the family is this a nice family and you do care about them and you want them to kind of succeed and kind of and that's you are right like referring to what you said before like there's no joy there's no triumph of the struggle like there's no not really there's no end in sight for them and and I didn't you know I actually um would have liked to have seen a bit more of the um the husband story with his uh PTSD Mm -hmm. that would have been really interesting to yeah that would have been really interesting and yes lucky does find um a little bit like there's a little bit of a reprieve but also that feels just inserted for i don't know just things just didn't feel authentic they a lot of a like lot the of the supernatural aspects, the, a, a supernatural lot of the, aspect that was yeah, dumped felt, in there that felt shoehorned yeah because i honestly i'm not gonna lie i barely paid attention to that black and white episode like it doesn't like in oh. like i was reading angelica's review and i'm like okay so it's it's white evil and it's in the house and now it's manifesting in the ways that of the things that are haunting these particular characters which is in which is an interesting concept but like not the not the man in the hat that is kind of bs to me like i don't that's 
Ugh, I, mm. I just don't. I felt I felt that episode and that mythos was so unnecessary. Them just having these mm. haunts just from their experiences as black people in America is enough. We don't need an added uh, we, another white character. So exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I don't. We, uh, for uh, for for the for the colleagues that I respect, as far as their writing, as far as their perspectives, we're gonna have to agree to disagree. This this was not this ain't it. Like this is not. Mm-mm. I I this is I. Angelica said it for me. I know I'm talking now because I had more. Because again, it, I don't always have an immediate response to things, and it really takes me time to mm-hmm. formulate my opinion. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I I I'm good, and this is and I guess it took them to not, it didn't take them to get us to this particular episode. Cause we were always going to like find a way to kind of talk about um, black women creating horror. It's a good segue. Let's just say yeah, yeah, <laughs> excellent segue. De- definitely. Because um, I, that, that was, was, was bothering me. I'm just like, I've been doing this work for years and people were still not paying attention. It was just like, you know, we can't give so much of our energy into something that we don't like, that we don't support, and then not support the women or even the other Black creators, no matter what their gender is um, or how they identify, and not give them their props. Like we have to, we have to really watch their stuff. I mean, like in droves. Like we have to mm-hmm. do it so much that it gets the attention of these producers, and hopefully, we'll have a. A, a different renaissance, but another kind of renaissance in the way where, you know, people with a lot of money will just throw money at these creators and say, okay, uh, go with your vision. And so we can get things that are coming out so other generations can see and other people who aren't so um, cinesavvy as us who like are, or who act as insiders to an, to an extent um, can see their work and know these people and know their names. Cause a lot of the, cause a lot of filmmakers, we talk to a lot of them too. They just want to make, they don't want to be famous. They don't want, they don't need a blue check mark. They don't need that stuff. They just want to make a living off of their art, off of their vision, off of what they think. They're just their perspective of life and how they want to bring characters to life basically. So uh, they deserve the money and the opportunity to do that. Just like, you know, a lot of these white men and women who get more opportunities than non-white people because we don't because we're because indigenous voices too and latin Mm -hmm. latinx voices as well and everyone in between filipino korean you know all these other folks um so that's what we're doing today as really melanated people we're going to be talking about really melanated horror movies (laughs) want to get started yeah So this is a this is our a mini double feature because these are short films, and they are horror films directed and written by Black women. Now, do you want to like? I guess I want to talk a little bit about. I guess this is more speculation. I guess to an extent because you see a lot of, um, especially we can do that now. Especially can't we? Right? 
as far as black women directing horror films, most of them are short films. There's maybe three black women I can count right now who've maybe directed feature horror films. How do you feel? I guess my question to you is how do you feel about that? Because there seems to, especially nowadays, be we're starting to see the scales kind of tip in one direction where we don't, where there are more white women getting opportunities to direct features as opposed to mm-hmm. non white women, especially black women. Um, everyone points to Nia DaCosta, but I'm like, that's just one person. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can mention more white women who've directed feature films, right? Um, so I'm just, I'm curious as to you, like, why do you think that is? Like, what, there's, a, there's more short films cre- being created by black women than features. First of all, I think that there aren't enough black women in the upper, you know, executive position. So I think that's number one. Um, I Although I keep getting like PR emails about... Um, you know, oh, this, uh, this black woman is now going to be the executive director of XYZ, a documentary, um, you know, uh, operation or whatever. So there, it, I notice now there are more women of color and black women taking on these positions. So that's number one, is that there's not enough um, black women in these um, executive positions. And then number two, I think short films, for one, there are a lot of like there's um an organization here black women in film canada and they do a lot for black women directors so they have i think they're um they are um affiliated with the canadian film center there's a couple of uh, bigger organizations that work with them mm-hmm. and they have like workshops they have hands-on um directing they help women produce their short films. So there's that. So there's a lot of up and coming women. However, I would say a good 80 to 90%, they are not genre films. So right. that's also, that's an issue because uh, here in Canada, you get funding um, the blink of an eye for a documentary. So um, they t- they're more inclined to do, like I see filmmakers who start out, they, they usually start out with a documentary or a short film or a short doc because they get the money for that. Once they get that under their belt, then they start making like kind of, you know, vanity projects or things that they've been they've had on the back burner for a while. Then they'll start to do their own kind of um, projects where they're, you know, narrative fictions or, or what have you. So there's that. So and also I think that short films are just a little bit easier to get off the ground, you know? And because mm-hmm. Black women don't usually have that support, they kind of rally the troops, get their friends together. I mean, I think this is all, this comes across for all independent filmmakers because as a film programmer, we see a hell of a lot of shorts coming in for submissions, like a lot. And some people do them really well on a low budget. Some people do them quite badly on a low budget. <laughs> runs there's a spectrum of um quality but i think that you know short films are just easier to put together and because people aren't really supporting genre film i think a lot of these black um women who are making genre film directing genre film that's all they got so that's i guess my theory (laughs) rounded up yeah totally that's that makes so much sense um you're absolutely right. Everything that you said, you're that's 
so on par for what I've been hearing. Um, one, one filmmaker in particular was kind of talking about her struggles with this and was kind of saying, you know, she feels like the trajectory of her, you know, getting her foot in the door is like, I have to make something non-horror in order to, you know, make a name for myself, so to speak, in order to, you know, maybe to segue into making horror films. So you're right about that. We're, the, these films are getting the support. Uh, now, I was like kind of scrolling yesterday because I haven't heard anything, but I know it's coming. But there is a book coming out called Bloody Women, Women um, women Horror Directors. I think that's the right title. <laughs> but it's going to be an anthology book that I wrote a chapter for, which I'm really, really proud of and excited for. Um, and I'm talking about uh, Black women horror directors. And again, kind of like what does a Black woman, woman's horror film look like and all that kind of stuff. But I think what I'm really focusing on is I kind of set up the what historically has been kind of created as a foundation for what we're going to see in Black women's work in horror films specifically moving forward but basically um one of the little kind of tidbits that I was kind of like picking apart in this particular chapter is and I'm sure this has happened before but the light-skinned girl from awkward black girl who was like the supervisor or whatever who that was Issa's arch nemesis I I hate that I forget her name right now (laughs) Oh, oh my god it'll come to me but basically she was talking about how she she loves horror films she always has and you know she's in a unique opportunity she's in a unique position now to kind of um you know pitch ideas and be in rooms stuff like that and she really wants to you know write a, a horror movie um and get it off the ground and she had an experience with an executive that should, should surprise no one is that he he or she was like uh i don't didn't know that black women liked horror movies or I don't think this person outwardly said black women don't watch horror movies. Uh, But that was kind of her experience is that she got the pushback of people questioning if uh, black women even liked or watched or produced horror films. And so this is the kind of, I use that as an example to kind of say this, these are the kind of structural issues. You're right. There aren't enough women at, in these high positions enough or women in these high positions to kind of help uh, create change from the inside. Again, if that's even necessary. So this woman, her name is Tracy Oliver. Uh, that's her name. And yeah, she, uh, she's the, she's a light skinned nemesis. <laughs> Awkward black girl. Um, <laughs> Go back and watch that series. It's still hilarious, but it's so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. So she was. So this is what she talked about in the article that she. I think she had wrote it for a particular outlet. And so, um, yeah. So this is the issues that these women are facing. And I think, yeah, you're right. Sometimes short films are a good foundation for making something larger. Also, it is about money, it's about budget, it's about opportunity, it's about all of these uh, things that are more structural than anything else. It, it Clearly, uh, Black women can make feature films and can do all of this in, in any, in any uh, genre. But horror seems to, again, be on this, be the short straw in, in the hand for and almost every facet of entertainment, if that, if that makes any sense. It absolutely does. And, and it's baffling to me because you read how many interviews, like even, uh, what's her name? SZA, um, the singer. She mm-hmm. loves horror. You know, Aaliyah loved horror. Um, a lot of uh, entertainers, women like um, 
actors and and that you know black women actors they used they would say oh yeah i'd sit and watch horror movies with my mother you watch horror movies with your mother i watch horror movies with my mother mothers black women black mothers are the gateway to horror films Mm -hmm. so i don't get it (laughs) you know i don't get it um it's not like it's not documented out there so it i think it's just this huge blind spot because of these preconceived notions of of what black women want and what black women like even though we are possibly the least studied um group we are society so how can you say you know you 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 know like when when you're saying oh well i didn't know black women liked horror whatever well you know do do study talk to some of us <laughs> it it's it baffles me how completely short-sighted people are when it comes to black women because they have you know this this notion of who we are and nobody has taken the time to understand us or talk to us or ask for our opinion so that's i think the frustrating thing for me yeah, and this is definitely why we one of the reasons why a lot of black women theoretical frameworks the reason why a lot of them start with experience and start with actually speaking to black women is because people aren't speaking to us is because we are understudied and under researched and things like that. So, I I can speak specifically about black feminism is like a lot of it it's rooted in just talking to black women and documenting their experiences and documenting their histories. It's why my final girl exists. Um shout out to Christina Leaf Mallon um my final girl, like a lot of her, a lot of her motivations is because these, again, people were not talking to these black women who were a part of these seventies black horror films or horror films, um, specifically, um, not just black horror, but also, um, being in horror films. And she was just like, these women are older, they're dying and no one's talking to them about their experience being a part of this. And that's why it's, that's why it was so, it was such a jolt for me in back in 2013 when I first when I first found out what Christina was doing with her master's thesis. That stuff is important. I didn't get to, I didn't get to have that experience when I was a graduate student and an undergraduate student. Uh, I had I was almost a year um, away from graduation from getting my master's degree when Horror Noir came out. So mm-hmm. I didn't. So this I mean I can't imagine how things would have changed for me. I think I would have I. To be honest with you, I probably would have gotten my PhD if horror noir existed if I was undergrad. I probably would have went all the way. That probably would have happened. Shout out to you for bringing uh, (laughs) Dr. Coleman's book up to light. Because honestly, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't, you know, seen your website. So shout out to you for doing your work, um, which is so important because your website opened my eyes and I felt a kinship. I think that's why we're friends now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so Mm -hmm. shout out, give yourself some, pat yourself on the back. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. I listen, I think my, my motives, my motives have always been selfless and driven by just passion. And of course that, Mm. that, that Sagittarian ire that I have for just like, especially cause I don't like, cause I've been a black girl, a black young lady. I I call myself a lady and a black young woman my entire life. And I've had to face what, you know, the, the, the thing 
without that that didn't have a name that I couldn't articulate for a long time is why people treated me differently. And let's not we've talked about this before on this podcast, but let's not get into like even straying from the perceptions of who people think that you are based on your race and gender. And mm-hmm. so all of that, and I, I was, fa- you know, and continuing to face it, and at, I got, I became a certain age. I was at a certain place in my life where I was just like, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm done with this. I'm done with people telling me who they think that I am. I'm done with people ignoring us, rendering us invisible. I will never forget. I read an, um, and this was, this was like I had a feminist theory course and in grad school, and I'll never forget one of the things we were reading. We were reading by an author, a black woman. And she was talking about how she was walking down the street. I think this was in the article or the essay. This was a long time ago. But Mm -hmm. she was in the essay. She was talking about how she was walking down the street and there was a group of white guys. And they literally just bumped into her. And then she just snapped. Like she, they, like, it was like they almost didn't see her, right? And so she just had this moment in the middle of the street and she just, threw off, I think she threw off her, her hat or whatever she was wearing and just screamed and just was like, and just made them see her because they don't see us. And I, because there, there was a, there's a deeper meaning behind that act. It was just like that, like that whole, like, you know, you, you can call me an angry black woman all you want. I have a right to be angry because you don't mm-hmm. see me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't exist it's to you. True. I'm not a human being. And so that, 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 those little, those little things that I think that people, you know, that pe- people don't recognize that they do that kind of drive people to these behaviors or drive people to these epiphanies or what have you, this is what happens. And so, and I was sick of that myself and I found a way to render not just me, but all of us not invisible. Like I wasn't expecting the out turn, the out the response from Graveyard Shift Sisters that it had, I wasn't expecting that at all. I was a little mm-hmm. nervous because I'm just like, oh my God, here, here, come, here comes the BS. Here, here comes the white mm-hmm. folks saying, but that didn't happen. <laughs> it that didn't happen yeah. to my face, interestingly enough. I know it's probably happening mm-hmm. at, not in front of my face. And people are probably sick of the um, exposure that I've gotten because of it. And I'm just, and mm-hmm. that's, why, that's, why, that's, why, that's why I always emphasize, I'm just like, what's, this ain't about me. Like, like just mm. like it's about the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really the work. It's not about Ashley Blackwell. It's the work that people mm. are responding mm-hmm. to. It's not me. I just I just put it out there on on the, in a blog, mm. and that's why I just that's, that's why I try to put I try to put that into perspective for folks because like, I don't think people mm. you know we live in an age where it's it's instant gratification, it's instant fame. It seems like instant fame or quote unquote fame or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not about that at all. And I found a love for talking to these filmmakers. I love, you know, dishing and I love watching these films and I, I love everything about it as I love, I love being able to, I have, I think I have more, I have a poetic prose than anything else. I think that's probably Mm -hmm. my niche, but like, I like kind of like writing about Zendashi, like Mm -hmm. Zendashi's interview is probably one of the, again, because I had time and experience, I've been, I was writing more. So her, her, the interview I did with her is probably the one of the best interviews I've ever had with a filmmaker because especially because her work I found really moving and we'll get into that in a few minutes but mm-hmm. yeah and, and then Arshanae Williams comes along and she's just this but she has this particular gift just as a person of just being very deeply human but also has this light inside of her she's able to eclipse darkness by putting it on screen and giving people 
an opportunity to get in touch with themselves so they could be better. I think that's what her work does. Her work is very, I think both of these filmmakers are very, very powerful in very, very different ways. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I guess we should get into it now. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get into it. This is like, this has been like quite the buildup to oh my what God. we're going to talk about today, right? <laughs> let's, let's, let's shake, let's shake it with paralysis first. Give me your, give me your All first right. impressions. Well, I mean, both films I really love because they approach horror in such a um, finessed way, um, in such a, I, I, I don't know if I could say like a black, it's a like a black woman's perspective, but it's very subtle, it's very finessed, and it's something that people can grasp, you know? And, and being a black woman, I, you know, obviously I can look into the deeper layers of it and see like myself represented and see like, for instance, paralysis, um, you know, this woman who has the sleep paralysis and thinks that it's something else, it's something supernatural. The, the performances, first of all, were, it was incredible. And also you can see that self doubt that you may not in, in real life experience in a supernatural way, but you see it in your daily life. You're like, oh, am I? it's that gaslighting kind of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And you really see that in, in paralysis. I think that's what really came out across to me, as well as the horror aspect. I thought it was really, again, I have to use the word finesse because it's really, it's subtle, but it's relatable. And yeah, I just thought it was a, a really ni a nice blend of, of reality and the supernatural. So Paralysis is about a photographer with a sleep disorder and how she fears she may be haunted by a supernatural entity. And again, just for emphasis, we want to say that this was both written and directed by Arshanae Williams. And uh, this movie stars Nia Fairweather as Jessica, uh, DK Bowser as her father, and Nidra McClyde, I believe, plays the eccentric neighbor, and Antoinette Lavecchia as the parapsychologist. Let me say this. Uh, I think I've seen this movie multiple times. I've seen it at multiple film festivals. None more funner than seeing it at Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia here. Uh, Black Star is a film festival for, um, I believe, Latinx, Indigenous, as well as Black uh, filmmakers to showcase their work. And I will give Black Star a, a lot of credit. They are very in tuned with being very open-minded to genre works. So the weird, the experimental, horror, sci-fi, everything in between. And so um, I don't think they have a curated uh, block for that yet, though, specifically. Or they don't like, it's not like superly outwardly like stated, if that makes any sense. Like it's, it's like, mm. it's like, um, Cause it's weird. It's weird how where where uh, paralysis was sandwiched, and I don't think the audience was prepared. And the audience was predominantly black, of course, predominantly black and brown. And mm. I, it, it reminded me of why people love watching horror movies with black people. <laughs> and again, because it, it was a movie that I had see, already seen before, so I, I knew what to expect. And I was with so you know. Um, 
Robin, that's her first name. She came with, you know, a, the cast and some of the producers. Um, her producer, Anthony Davis, was there. Her parents were there. That was fun. Um, her parents are so lovely. And and the cast and everything. So we were all sitting there. And I think I was sitting next to Robin. And, it was there, and everyone else was there, too. And, you know, those jarring moments in the film. Like, if people were... <laughs> <laughs> that got people going and it was so yeah. fun and, and it was so alive that's what i'm talking about like even when i've showed robin's work to like other people one-on-one they've had such they've had these kind of like reactions where they're just like it really emotionally really moves them um and so and that crowd was really they were into it and they were just like i will never forget there's one there's one time i was hearing a guy in the audience he was like whoa yo like it was really funny <laughs> and i think we both were very delighted when we kind of talked about the audience response afterwards and even to this day when we have conversations we just kind of chuckle to ourselves about that memory because it was such a great memory um so I think Perales is just, it has, again, she has, I think that's a part of her talent as a filmmaker. She able She's able to pull those kind of reactions out of people. But even, but even when you're able to sit with it quietly and kind of like you're picking it apart and doing the analysis, it's a lot of her work is also very character driven and mm-hmm. it's very detailed in a sense. So even in the opening, when after kind of like that first kind of cold frame open, we get the, where she's even, even um, Jessica, as she's preparing a salad, there's a, Mm -hmm. there's you, the, the emotion of that, you feel it already. Like you don't know necessarily what is going on with this chick, but you're also just like, she seems so distracted. She seems so. And like tense too. Like, yeah, there's a tension. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't know where it's coming from. Like it's, it's just kind of there, but and I, I think that's a, a great lead into something that's called paralysis. You know, it, it's that tension is right there, but you don't know what's going to happen. And it's within the first few shots. Yeah. What else do you? Well, actually, I really liked um, the sound design, too. So when Jessica has those weird kind of seizure moments, she she runs like the, the sound of a camera shutter. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was so brilliant. That's what I'm talking about with the subtleties, because it kind of relates back to what Jessica does. Like she's she's a photographer. So you wonder, well, is she being haunted by the fact that she's not doing her job anymore? Or like, I, I, you know, this is is this coming from is it like is there like a haunted photograph is, you know, you, it just really leads you into wondering more about what's happening. Um and then, you know, what really threw me for a loop is that when she goes to the doctor and you're thinking it's like a, you know, a therapist, but it's a parapsychologist. So that was huge. I'm like, oh, my God. So she didn't even go to a therapist. She went to a parapsychologist. So because you would think um, and I think I watched an interview with Arshane, uh, and it was really cool how she was saying she wanted to bring in like the the mental illness and the horror like to bring them in together instead of and or you know Mm -hmm. um or like bringing in the horror and the mental illness instead of having just one or the other um because that kind of culminates with the parapsychologist you know because you think oh well if she thinks she's losing it she'll probably go to a therapist but Mm -hmm. she actually went to somebody who deals with the paranormal 
So I thought that was really brilliant because I'm like, oh my God, she's not even bothering. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Yeah. We share the same brain because I just exact, those are like watching it again, those were my exact thoughts about the sound design and about the, the clicking of the camera. I don't know why it took this many uh, watches to get the click of the camera. I'm just like, duh, why did I not see that before? And you're right, because I had the same thought. I'm like, was this taunting her? Is this haunting her? Like, literally, I wrote, I wrote those notes down. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one I took as far as her going to the parapsychologist, like the interaction, again, I, I looked at it a little bit more carefully now. Um, I still feel like initially Jessica wasn't, not that she wasn't not being taken seriously, but mm. that she, the doc, the doctor automatically didn't think she was equipped to address the issues that she's having. And mm. I, yeah, I, I'm still stuck on that. Because I do feel like it's an extension of uh, Black women not being listened to, especially in medical uh, spaces. It's crazy. Like the one of the Black women from the real world, the one of the early uh, seasons, Boston, um, Camila, I think her last name is Phillips now. Um, she's now, she, like, she was talking about, like, she was an undergrad when she was on the real world. She was talking about becoming a doctor. And so to see that mm. she actually became a doctor is really awesome. And she, she's an OBGYN specialist. And she, I, I follow her on Instagram and it's, while it is low key frightening to kind of think about like what, uh, what your body could go through as a woman. And when you are number one, pregnant and number two in labor, God help me. Um, it's this thinking about it just gives me, gives me anxiety. It makes me think I'm not having kids, but who knows what's in the cards for me. But basically, it's frightening what you go through. And I think um, Camila's um, position with that is she's just like she also does a lot of research on racism in medicines, medicine and things like that. And she talks about just like I'm not just talking about mentally, but also physically and mentally about how hyper hyper vigilant we have to be as black women and i think i think her as a black female uh medical uh professional about how she understands the bias and the inherent racism that comes with um black women being treated and making people educated and aware of those disparities and i think the same definitely i did a little bit of research on this um just for the research that i had to do for my own work um, as far mm. as what um, Arshanae did with uh, paralysis and how it's even hard for Black people, but also Black women to seek mental health because of those barriers, um, of, of because we are not just going to be talking about feeling depressed or anxious, um, but we're going to be talking about how those things factor into how our race and gender ties into all of those things mm -hmm. and how there's a fear that our reality or our truths won't be embraced as what they are. I think that's really, that's a huge point because you notice that Jessica is by herself. Like at the beginning, her father comes over, but Jessica is by herself with this issue, this haunting, mm -hmm. this mental illness. And that is like, it's huge because, you know, it took me a long time to, for myself to seek therapy for actually my therapy came from a long illness as well so um and there's a point where I was sick for I don't know about I would say over the span of four years in my 20s my early 20s so there's a point 
when you start going back and forth to the doctors and they keep sending you home and telling you, I don't know what's wrong with you. And there's a point where you just kind of give up. And, you know, after my illness for a while, I would go to the doctor and I would just, I felt like a slab of meat and I just kind of stepped outside of myself. So thank God forbid nothing kind of untowards happened to me. But I, I thought, you know, if a doctor wanted to take advantage of the situation, I would just be like a slab of meat. I don't think I would be physically or mentally there. So being treated like you, uh, it's all in your head um, and being treated like you don't know what you're feeling um, and doctors know better what you're feeling or that they don't care is really, it really affects your mental health in a, in a huge way where, again, I disassociated from myself and I was just like, well, they know, like, I just didn't care at one point, didn't care what they like, I'll just take whatever they give me, whatever. And then I started to, to like go outside of the, you know, um, received medical uh, practices and went to like a naturopath, blah, blah, blah. But it affects your mental health in such a terrible way um, that I really connected with Jessica in this film where she was like, you know, just uh, there's a scene that I think it's in the trailer where she's at the sink and she looks mm -hmm. over her shoulder and there, she hears a noise. And that I feel like was me, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like doubting myself or, you know, hearing something or feeling something, looking and not seeing anything. And then this like the the um, is her name Fairweather, the, the actress yeah. Nia. Mm -hmm. Nia just really conveys that in such an, uh, uh, an incredible way where she's scared. There's a self-doubt. Everything's just kind of encapsulated in the look on her face. Yeah, I just I really connected with that. And she does play with your, she plays with your, uh, your own mind too, because there are things happening where you're just like, is this all in, like, not necessarily all in her head, but is there, what, what is going on? Is there a supernatural presence or nah? That's kind of how it feels a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. because there are things that happen. Um, especially like one of the, again, this, this she, the taunting with me a little bit is like this, the kitchen sink in the middle of the night. Where that comes mm. on, yeah. Um, everything else you can kind of ex you can kind of maybe chalk up to dreams, but also there are also little things like that, or even the eccentric uh, neighbor who kind of talks about. Um, <laughs> I loved her. I feel like, oh, that's gonna be me. <laughs> Yell oh my, my shadow, and <laughs> <laughs> I can anyway, actually kind sorry, of see that as you. No, no, no. Yeah. I can totally see that as you. Um, <laughs> Except I'd be holding a cat, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the little things like that where she kind of like where you see those kind of like genre nods, with um, with the neighbor uh, kind of trying to give exposition, but she doesn't say anything. We're just like, well, the other girl here was not so lucky, and it's just like, what do you mean? And she doesn't go into any details. And so you're, I again, I think I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love uh, movies that offer you more questions and answers it's just more fun to kind of play around and poke at the what ifs and whys i think and i think paralysis does that really really well oh yeah um mini cassavet that's it i was thinking from rosemary's baby oh my god you know <laughs> like that wouldn't coming mm -hmm. that wouldn't be a surprise to me if that was um 
a little bit of a nod as there as well because uh Robin loves Rosemary's baby if I'm not if I'm correct. She's really well versed. Well, yeah, I yeah, I know. That's I mean, she's like the epitome of the nosy neighbor that's harboring something a bit more sinister. <laughs> so I that. love I, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad we're having this conversation because yeah, again, this is something else I never thought of. I'm just like She's an odd bird, but you took it right there with that mm. reference. I'm just like, you know what? That's one that's so on point. And I think that's again, that's something really cool where again, it's not it's not blatant. It's not like roll your eyes, oh my God, this is such a knockoff. But no, mm. she's doing something again. I think what she's doing what Angelica was looking for with a them, right? She's like you there are clear influences. But you're able to make them your own, because I don't think I don't think art exists in a bubble. We're all inspired by something, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, right I on think, for sure. Yeah. I think that's what Arshane does so well is that she, you know, she's taking like um I think in her interview she mentioned like um the tenant like you know films where people are alone and and kind of losing it and you you can see you know I mean sure. Again, you would you kind of have to dig down deep to see the influences, but again, as you're saying, she makes it her own, and it's it's so good, and it's so it's so um, current. It's not like a throwback. It's within mm-hmm. the moment. It's in the now. It's not like she's throwing back to you know. She doesn't have like period pieces in the apartment to make it kind of to kind of a wink and tongue and te- tongue and cheek and wink and nod kind of thing. She makes it her own. It's the kind of apartment you actually want to live in. Like every time I see that apartment, yeah. I'm like, Dad, how much is that run in New York City? Because I don't want to go there apartment myself. It's no, nice. No, no word of a lie. I was thinking that too. I was like, hmm, how much does that cost? Because <laughs> yeah, I know it's like, expensive. Yeah. For, for a single person, a, that's a nice one bedroom. Um, and mm-hmm. yes, this, this movie was filmed in New York City. I think it was filmed in Harlem. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, it was a nice apartment. You're right. So again, this is a movie that is current and also city-based movie. Um, it's kind of kind of that city horror, and also it's about it's 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 focusing on this particular character. It's about her mental well-being or lack thereof. It's not about a monster outside. It's not about the. Uh, the white man boogeyman wearing a three-piece suit sitting behind a corporate desk it's not Mm -hmm. any of that it's just it's a person dealing with their own personal um their own inner inner turmoil um it's the kind again it's the kind of film that i think a lot of us are we want more of now because now that we're talking about this this movie could be a feature i know there's there's i feel but i feel like to do it successfully possibly there's this level of restraint for the for that for that exposition you know what Mm. i mean there's we get we get a little bit more into it but we don't we get but we still don't give too much away Mm -hmm. i think that's that that's what i was um i think i was trying to get at that with her like the subtlety and the finesse like she really she kind of gives you and then pulls away and then gives it to you, gives a little bit. And then, you know, that sounds really um, sexual. Sorry. Let me just. (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it just, she kind of gives and takes so that you can, um, 
Okay, I'll let uh, you finish. You, you go ahead. Go ahead. I can't finish that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's all of this is great. Like, this is um, honestly because these are short films. All, both films are under 20 minutes. And this is kind of why I'm just like, I don't know if there's anything else to kind of say about it without giving too much away. Because I really want people to hopefully find this podcast and watch this stuff and explore it. And just like, again, just let's let's make a let's start a movement and let's make a a let's have a legion a legion of people like you know really put their energy their social media discourse their time their money into these films and so paralysis is one of them um the only thing i could think of like she does like again i noticed this time around like you know Again, she doesn't even give too much away about the discussion of the folklore of paralysis, you know, like the paralysis demon or the demon on your chest. Like, and that stuff, I mean, that is definitely um, a theme that has been done over and over and over again. The first, I don't know why, but the first thing I think of was this X-Files episode where they did that. And it was mm-hmm. um, for for one particular character, it was a supporting character, not, not Mulder or Scully, but um, their boss and his kind of... Um, night apparition or whatever was an old woman like it was it was it was it was one it was his story was basically similar to this but not exactly the same but like it's interesting his his backstory is that he is a vietnam war vet and so again somebody who has that who carries the ptsd and the trauma from that and his relationship with his wife was strained but his him and his wife were on the verge of divorce so he meets a woman at a bar when he's just drinking on it by himself. He wasn't looking for a woman, but she just kind of came up to him and they hooked up that night and she ends up dead the next morning or dead. I think dead that night actually, but he sees that he sees that his female ghostly apparition again um, when he's with her, but it, it, but it's a dream that he sees the woman and he wakes up and the, that the woman is dead. So that's, that's like the kind of the, the foundation of like the whole episode, but basically it's the, the same thing where something where you're going through trauma or something's ha- or something happened to you and you're dealing with um, paralysis now because it made because I was thinking about something because when I was when I because again I never read about sleep paralysis until um, we had to prepare for this episode but I was reading mm-hmm. about it and I was like wait a minute because I'm thinking this is something I never experienced and I'm just like I think I had sleep paralysis as a kid but. The way my dreams operate, even to this day, if something is heavy on my mind or if something's in my consciousness, like currently my dreams have been about my mother and about moving, about like everything all, like this, this, my life has been in a transition since 2018. Like there's, everything has been this birthing process of, and this purging process for me. So my dreams reflect that in the weird way that it does. But when I was a kid, it was the same thing, like the things that were in my consciousness. So when I was a kid in the eighties, it was, I remember it was Freddy, Freddy Krueger was a big part of that. Like it was like, cause mm. kids were like, cause kids were talking about Freddy Krueger, those trailers for A Nightmare on Elm Street, like all those sequels were on constantly. And I was a TV hound and kids would like tease you when you're, when you're younger. Like if you go on, the, if you go on the cheese bus, Freddy Krueger's gonna get you and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so 
as crazy as this sounds, I had a sleep paralysis experience where, again, where, where sleep, a part of it is you're having hallucinations and you feel like they're real, but they're not. And there was a particular neighborhood, again, and also I connected this to my, the, the, school, the, the elementary school I went to at the time too. So there was a time, there was a period in my life when I was a kid, you couldn't convince me that we didn't live near the school. We never did. And that Freddy Krueger or some sort of supernatural entity was at my bed trying to get to me. Like I was, it was such, it was so vivid. Oh, wow. It's re, it was, it freaks me out. It doesn't freak me out anymore, but it, it really like for years I was just like, so we didn't live there. My mom was like, no, we never lived there. What are you talking about? And I was just like, no, but like I had, I had that experience in a way. And mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, I, now it made sense to me. It, it took 38 years, but I didn't, it, never, it has not made sense to me until now. Yeah, that's, that's actually, it's, it's pretty scary. Like, you know, the whole sleep paralysis thing. I've never experienced it either. Um, I have a lot of weird, I have a lot of weird dreams. I had a dream I was like putting in flooring with a person I used to work with like years ago. <laughs> I was like, what? Anyway, um, but yeah, like it's just, you know, I I would imagine it's really terrifying. Like I did, um, I wrote a piece, uh, actually last year I think for Grimm magazine about this film called The Nightmare, Der Nachtmare. It's like a German film, and it's about a teenage girl, and and um, she has this little creature that kind of um, only she can see. Uh, this is what you you're kind of led to believe, but. It comes from a uh, film by a, uh, um, sorry, not a film, a painting. It's called The Nightmare by Henry Fuseli or Fuseli. And um, uh, I can't remember. It was like, let me look at the year. Let me just look it up. Anyway, so the painting is that famous painting of the little goblin sitting on a woman's chest. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of reclining and she looks horrified. And that actual painting used to terrify me as a, a like just seeing it because I would imagine that's what sleep paralysis feels like is um th- this little thing sitting on your chest and you can't move you know I, I don't know it's just uh it's it's pretty it's kind of it's frightening you know yeah like you can't move and then you're also having hallucinations of things that aren't there like there yeah. have been cases where people have seen of course shadow figures and also but also somebody saying seeing seeing one with glowing red eyes and things like that and again mm-hmm. is it your mind playing tricks on you i don't know now again that it all depends on also what your what your spiritual beliefs are or your not i wouldn't say religious necessarily um i don't like that word that word has really been tainted unfortunately mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah it also kind of depends on your beliefs if you believe in another dimension you be seeing something from that dimension who knows um mm-hmm. so but yeah i think this is why this a, the film like this is so breath with possibilities and open-endedness and ideas that you could explore that could be explored in the future if given the opportunity mm-hmm. uh, uh give her some money so she can do it <laughs> I mean, by the way it's the painting the nightmare was from 1781 um, hmm. And the painter is, he's um, Anglo-Swiss painter, Henry Fuseli. Um, anyway, you, you, when, you, when you type in the nightmare, uh, you'll find it. It's a very famous painting. But um, yeah, I digress. Give 
Arshane Williams some money, please, so she can make her feature film. (laughs) Yes. And stories like this have been like in since the beginning of time, essentially. And again, every like a lot of different folklore, like everything, every culture has a different way of interpreting it or a different way of kind of explaining it. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that, I think that's very, very fascinating. And paralysis is one of them. I think paralysis is probably the 21st century version of that in a yeah. way. Um, so blood resident. So let's go, let's go, let's go to Louisiana. Oh, right. Let's go to rural Louisiana where I've, I've only been to new Orleans. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the most South I've ever been. And it is mm-hmm. so hot. <laughs> there. I was not expecting. I am a northeast bitch. I'm not used to that kind of heat. <laughs> I remember you texting me, going, "Oh my god, I'm so hot." <laughs> remember Dude, that? <laughs> I was not prepared at all. I, I didn't even pack correctly. I had to go to a, a, a clothing store, one of their kind of like um, little like side mark markets, and just buy some tops that felt like I can breathe in them. And that, like, I was literally kind of at the, I was almost showing my midriff. Like, it was that hot. I was just like, I don't care <laughs> how crazy I look right now. Because I'm not used to, I'm not, I'm, this, it never, it, for me, it never gets so hot in Pennsylvania where I have to, like, where I'm wearing a midriff outside. Like, I'm, not, I'm mm. never that hot here. Ever. Ever. Even in the dead of summer. And we have really swampy summers. Never that hot. Um, it was a, a different kind of heat down there. But, yeah, so. With also that heat comes with hurricanes. They have hurricanes. And I think that's how Blood Runs Down, uh, written by, written and directed by Zendashe Brown. That's how it opens. It opens with a hurricane report about the storm coming. And that storm is really, I love how, again, how filmmakers layer their films. It, this The storm is being forecasted. It's not just the storm outside, but it's also a storm inside. The general synopsis of this film is basically it's it it says it states that when a mother undergoes a frightening transition her daughter must decide between saving her or protecting herself in this haunting account of inheritance daughterhood and demons and again written and directed by zendashe brown hope i'm pronouncing her name correctly and elise is played by idella johnson who i believe is also the executive producer and farrah martin is anna so, Carolyn, how mm-hmm. tell me tell me about the first time you saw Blood Runs Down because this is a this is a special one for me as well. Sure, um, actually, the first time I saw it was for watching it for the podcast. I I've heard of her because um, I've heard it through your website, and I really love the Southern Gothic kind of sepia tone feel to this like it, it's it's um it, it the visuals are really haunting in itself and I, I really love that I really love that again there's tension in that too because you don't know what you're seeing it could be in any era but it's it has this um kind of old-timey slash timelessness to it mm-hmm. and it really struck me as um like a really an intimate piece about like this generational pain and mm-hmm. and I, I have to say as like an aside I really love the opening scene where um the mother is braiding um Anna's hair because <laughs> it's that's like a huge f- for me and also I noticed um uh, there's a scene in in Miss Juneteenth as well when her mom's doing her hair like that 
mother doing the daughter's hair is very it's like a bonding moment and like you know generation after generation after generation it's a very simple thing but women pass down like their little their hair secrets what they use for their hair um you know putting dax in your hair that's what we had (laughs) that was was so foul oh my god but um and it's like an intimate moment and moments that you know maybe your your you know your mom opens up to you you know a little something like when she was a little girl or you can you feel comfortable enough that your mom you could tell your mom something that maybe you didn't want to approach or and i know uh, hair braiding sometimes was not fun because if you're tender headed sorry but <laughs> and if your mom was trying to get it done in a, hor- a hurry she'd be like stop moving i'm like ah! you know but that moment is such a black a black woman black girl moment that i thought that really touched me uh, you know i watched it a couple times um to make notes and but that was a really touching moment for me but also the um the terror of being afraid of your mother you know like that has so many layers um so i thought this was another layered um short film that could have well gone into a a feature one thousand percent so you said a lot of things um Mm -hmm. yes uh zendasha again her director's statement or mission or directorial approach specifically to blood runs down because i think she has i can't wait to see what else she does oh my god but um mm. it's she's looking at yeah she's looking at generational trauma she's looking at the black femme aesthetic or tradition in southern filmmaking and southern gothic filmmaking uh so that is definitely a part of her like this is a this is a beautiful kind of like coming out film for her like Mm -hmm. to show Mm -hmm. people what she can do and uh you're absolutely right and i think a lot a lot the one again that little thing we call it little because we 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 know it we we are intimate with it but it's not little in a way because it means because it is so specific to the black female experience Mm -hmm. other women don't we don't other women we don't other women don't get their hair done like we do other mm-hmm. women don't it, it it's so funny talking to other black women about this because all of us have very similar experiences um and you can't say that for other women of other races and ethnicities you can't like there's something mm-hmm. different about us like we know the use of the, the way we use the way our parents or our mothers i'm sorry use barrettes um mm-hmm. or even they they did this show in them not to bring them back up but like again i had that moment of like oh my god um when i was watching um gracie the little girl when her mom had the hot comb first of all <laughs> the one part about that was like I'm, she got to, her mom has the hot comb in the hand and I'm just like yo you're not going blow you're not going like um slap that off with a with a towel like you have to yes. you just take that to her hair yeah. <laughs> you're gonna burn like, it right off yeah that that's a little that's that was one of them because so you know g- g- it went to the state of her mother's mind of where her mother was her mother wasn't thinking properly clearly because you don't do that now we've all felt the heat of that comb on your kitchen now we've all had that we all thought we were gonna get burned right but our mothers didn't burn us (laughs) but you felt it but you know but our mothers they always that you took it off the stove and then you 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 blew on it and you slapped it down on the towel you crisped you crisped crisped up the towel yes (laughs) yeah to 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 get to, to get the like the heat heat off of it 
Yeah. So and so the same. So she does similarly when blood runs down. Like we've all had the owl moment. Uh, Lord knows mm. I've cried sitting mm-hmm. in between my aunt's legs, my mother's legs, because I'm like I I was tender headed. Now. Luckily, my niece is not tenderheaded because I have done mm. her hair, um, and I've done mm. her hair. I'm I'm very bohemian when it comes to hair. Like I don't do I don't do the cornrows and stuff like that. Like I just like I want you to look like a baby Lauren Hill, and I'm going to give you some twists. because <laughs> so she, she has because my because my niece has that kind of like I think it it, it borders on four C hair. It's not quite four C, but it borders mm. on it. So she has she, her hair is a lot more coarser. Mm-hmm. But so if you and her mother doesn't. Her mother doesn't um, permit or anything. She her mother doesn't even take heat to it, because because mm. I because like I did her like, like the last time I did her hair because I was going to blow dry it. She was like, no 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 no, my mom doesn't want to blow dry it. And I'm just like, oh really? And she's like, yeah no 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 blow dry. I'm like, okay fine, no blow dry. So I just let it air dry, and then I mm. was like, well I don't really know what to do with this, but I'm like, well let me just twist it because that that's what I would do with my own hair. So I just gave her I gave her two strand twists. And she looked adorable, and it has, but but her hair texture gives it a, gives it more of a fullness and a buoyancy. It doesn't like lay mm-hmm. flat; it lays a little bit more textured mm-hmm. and layered. It, it looks a little bit more fuller around her uh, to frame her face. It was so cute. So, but yeah. she she was able to sit there and like have me like you know part do the parts, get the tangles out. Not not one owl, not one grimace, and I'm just like you are one of the lucky ones because I was not that girl. <laughs> yeah oh god i was a squirmer because i i was in everything i had to be in everything i was such a little pest when i was a kid so i was like you know are you done because uh, i had like shoulder length <laughs> hair when i was a kid it's like are you done are you done can i go now my mom's like you know sit still you brat <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like that's such that evokes such a memory like just mm-hmm. that opening scene and like the beautiful lighting that she used. Like I loved the lighting. I really loved the lighting and how, again, it makes you think it's almost dreamlike where like the edges of the frame are almost like softened with all yes. the low lighting. Yeah. Like it just, it's almost dreamlike. And then, you know, after I watched it the first time, I'm like, was, was this a dream? Like what, you know? And then, um, which also, now that I think about it, um, is such a contrast to when um, the mother, I believe her name's Elise, when Elise yes. is um, in the river with the with the ancestors, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, like that is so bright as opposed to the kind of dark, warm, sepia, dreamlike, um, you know, um, because I guess the hurricane's coming and they don't have electricity but it also gives it that dreamlike quality. And then there's the brightness of when she's with the ancestors. So I thought that was such a great contrast. Absolutely. I no disagreeing there. You're, I, I love that you're bringing up the technicality of that. That's kind of my weak spot when it comes to kind of looking at films and kind of breaking them apart. I'm so not always the most uh, well-versed and kind of understanding how the visuals uh, are informing uh, the narrative I, I think I t- may, maybe sometimes can see more the emotion of it first, but not just like how the the way the trajectory of the narrative, I should say, more specifically. But yes, absolutely, because um, it, it's I I looked at the there's also little details, especially because you're right. Even though it's a brief scene, 
with the ancestors, it is more brighter. It's, it's a little bit more clearer. And also, it's funny because that's Zendashe. Um, next to one of her colleagues, I forget I forget their name, but um, she's in the movie. And I think she told me once, I think we were talking about it. And I think she said, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, but she didn't want, want to originally be cast at that. I think she wanted an older woman. Mm-hmm. And it might it might have been money, it might have been time, I'm not sure, but she just put herself in that position to be the person who welcomes Elise to the dimension where the, the where our ancestors lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she did it so beautifully. And let me just say sidebar, like I follow Zendashe on Instagram and again, she even in her little silly Instagram stories, they're also they feel very cinema- cinematic and very much her. And one in particular, she's out, I think, scouting for her next film or her, or her next piece of work. And she zooms in on an alligator. Like they're in, she's like, we're about to get in the water, but there was an alligator. And I was just like, <laughs> that, that I would, I, you, I, I would have been, there would have been a cartoon shape of me with a puff of smoke. <laughs> If I was anywhere near an alligator, I was waiting so, for that. <laughs> oh my god! I, I, all I can say to that is, God bless the people who have grown up in the South and grow up in these areas and spaces, and the indigenous people who knew how to not get eaten by an alligator. Yeah. Because I am a chick from. A geographical <laughs> space where we have five seasons, and the most we get, or the most we might see on the street at night, is a rat, but not <laughs> an alligator. If I just want to chill in the fall in in, in 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 the park, oh I, I can't. I my, my brain will never comprehend the terror of that for me, and how you could get actually get used to that. But apparently you can. And so even in the scene with the ancestors, I'm like, holy shit, is there an alligator? There's no there's an alligator. <laughs> so they're they're fine. No one's no, no one's gonna lose a limb. Okay. Whew. They look pretty chill. They look pretty chill in that water. <laughs> oh my god. They were god. actually they were lounging. They were relaxing. It was that's a that was a beautifully set up shot, by the way. Oh the yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. I can't now I know I know you're your own worst critic, but this is this movie was beautiful. Very, yeah. It was, yeah, it was almost perfect the way she, everything, again, not having to spell out. I mean, she's telling the story visually. You're, what we do as viewers, we're giving, we're putting words to what is being told to us visually. Like we're just interpreting. We're like downloading in our brains how to kind of explain what we're seeing. And she does it so well in this movie. Um, and, and when she does give us words, interestingly enough, and I didn't realize this until now, let, mm-hmm. let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, cause this was, I just, I don't, I just, I put a star next to this. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I just had an epiphany. This makes so much sense to me now. This is why, again, this is why I encourage my students, why I tell myself, watch crap over and over and over and over and over again. Cause you're going to see things you didn't see before. So mm-hmm. a big part of this film, the nucleus is that mother daughter relationship. And you know how she breaks down idolatry resentment and grief right mm-hmm. yeah how i'm seeing this that, that it's very much related it is you cannot separate those three those three 
divisions with that mother and daughter relationship. Because when you think about when you think about idolatry, you hear it from you hear it from a people before. Right? You hear it a lot. We idol we we can and sometimes we do idolize our parents. We look up to them. We see them. Yep. We don't see them as human beings, especially when we're kids. Yeah, we see them as we, we they because they 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 literally are helping us survive. And sometimes they're helping us thrive as well. And so they're giving us all of the essential things we need to continue to breathe and continue to, you know, food, shelter, all of those kinds of things. So there's, there's, an, there's an idolatry or an idolization process that we go through, even as, even as children, because we, we get to, because you see it, you see it when you like, when you see, when you see babies, they go from infants to toddlers and they start recognizing the people that they see every day in their lives as the people that they're supposed to depend on. So I watch babies a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I watch my niece. I watch, you know, some, some, some babies are very, so, like I think all babies are, they vary in different ways, but that consistent person that's in their life, though that's the person that they're going to naturally cling to or naturally go to. Um, you see babies light up when they see that person that they recognize or that they're familiar with. And that's, again, that's that, uh, that's that foundational initial form of kind of Id- idolatry. It's just like, I know this person. So therefore this person, quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, is my God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we, I think that's what children do with their parents. And I think with um, Anna and Elise, that's what Anna kind of does. Anna is, and is excited about her birthday. So again, this is also this is about birth. This this movie is about transition. It's about it's about the whole life cycle. I would argue. Um, yeah. And then that, but then next comes resentment, and resentment comes when we realize our parents are human, and we resent. Not, yeah. We 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 resent some of the things that they do as parents. So like you know, teenagers. The whole idea of rebellion kind of comes from the idea of we resent who they are because we're trying to figure out who we are and resentment i can say for me resentment a big part of resentment came from my mother making grave mistakes that cost me my mental well-being mm-hmm. she there was a time in her life and she didn't realize it she did later obviously um we, we everyone owned up to their mistakes so i'm not mm-hmm. so this is there's no blame going around here in my my situation mm-hmm. everyone everyone was help was was holding themselves accountable for making really grave mistakes. So my mother put her own selfishness, her own fear, her own her her own fear because she didn't her own lack of trust before my well-being. Mm-hmm. In a really really awful an awful way. In a way mm-hmm. that a lot of people would deem astronomically unforgivable. She did mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and I think I didn't while I didn't do the thing that my younger brother did with his outward resentment because he had his own resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, I, I let mine fester inside of me. And so, and that festering became anxiety and I mean, really bad anxiety. I mean, anxiety is to the mm-hmm. point where I was almost, where I was essentially paralyzed, where I would have anxiety attacks so bad where I couldn't even move or, and I couldn't mm-hmm. even breathe. Mm-hmm. So, and I think with uh, resentment in this movie, kind of plays a little bit with that too, where it's more outwardly, where you see at least the mom more outwardly, where it's it out or uh, resentment there seemed more on the surface. But Anna was, I think, again, she was digesting what could be, what could be seen as resentment. Like what the experiences that she was having with her mom, when her mom seemed to have been possessed. Mm-hmm. Like, what is she going to do with the way her mother was chastising her for wearing her dress and getting it, 
getting it messed up. Like, you know, like, like those, like those, remember we all had those experiences with our parents growing up where we didn't mean to do something wrong. We were just being kids, right? Like you, in, in retrospect, you're like, oh, she, oh, Anna is just being a kid. Of course, she's excited about her birthday. What, what little girl wasn't excited about her birthday? She's gonna have a party, she's gonna have a cake. It was your day, you're gonna get presents. And your mom has this, you know, if, if you are femme identified or if you like dresses, you your mom's got this pretty dress for you and you get so excited, you can't sleep, right? And you want to put on that dress and you have kid impulses, like your, your child mm-hmm. impulse doesn't think about consequences. It just thinks about instant gratification. It just thinks about what you want now. And she did that. And it was pure, it was innocent, like as white as white as that dress was, it, her, her motivations her, were, were pure. And her mother, again, is seeing like, you know, I told you to go to bed I told you not to put on this dress. Why are you still awake? And she's just like, I just wanted to see what it looked like in the dress. Like you know, she had that like that moment where you're just like, why is mom coming at me like this? That experience was gonna like she was gonna hold on to that. That was that was gonna that was a part of what was gonna turn into resentment later. And grief is interesting to me because of what happens. Again, let's not spoil. We can, but like, I for mm. for the sake of this argument that I'm trying to make here, that's really long winded. But like, grief is interesting to me, and I think for both of us because we both are two women who've lost our mothers, grief comes into play in a really interesting way. Like it, it because I think we talk about like the was the five stages of grief, and I think what kind of manifests here when grief comes um, is talked about is the interaction with Anna and Elise during this particular segment and what happens during that segment that kind of will will jar someone be like, Oh my God, what just happened? Mm. Um, Feels like acceptance in a way. And I'm not, not, and I don't think grief, I don't don't think the part of grief that, that incompetent, that acceptance is, I don't think, I don't think acceptance is the full acceptance or the full reality. Like you, I guess you accept the fact that you've lost that person, but, you don't have to like it. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like accept it where, okay, I can just go on. I could just move forward with my life. No, it's just the acceptance of this person is no longer here. And I will deal with that feeling come what may. Cause I, cause also realizing that, that that acceptance is going to be something that you have to kind of train yourself that you have to kind of, you always have to kind of come to terms with it, if that makes any sense. So those three, those three kind of title cards that kind of come into the plant to, to this entire narrative is that's, that's, that's kind of how I unpack that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and like the, the story is pretty simple. It's just a little girl and her mother and, you know, during a hurricane and the anticipation of her birthday and then it all goes south. <laughs> but, you know, and I like that it's, you know, on the surface, it just looks like this, like that, like, you know, the simple synopsis. But then with those three segments, you just you really see how you had um, actually how you spelled it out like that. It's it's perfect because there's like a layer, there's layers to it. And what I found um, with the final segment grief is that, you know, Anna doesn't want to deal with it in a way. I think mm-hmm. there's some visual, some uh, visual notes that you know. For instance, when her shadow picks up the bat and she kind of 
you know, it's like her subconscious telling her, this is what you need to do mm-hmm. um, to save yourself mentally, physically. And then it helps basically Anna battle that kind of entity that's threatening her, that grief, that memory. Um, and, you know, Anna may not, as you were saying, it's not something she wants to do, but it's something she has to do to to get to her her next birthday basically you know so and I feel like that scene I don't want to spoil it either but the bathroom scene when Anna's talking to her mother and she has this really loving look on her face and and she's just kind of coming to terms with her mother um, and she basically buries it so that she can move on Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really touching and you know the mother has her own battles as well and this is why the two kind of come together in such an ominous and eerie way. So yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous film and someone also needs to give Zandashi Brown some money <laughs> to make her feature. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cause I, I agree. It's just like, is, is she having, um, is she just having a visitation that's not quote unquote real or reality? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another uh, question we need to ask. So so um you're absolutely right about that again i'm i can't i can't help but keep saying it but i'm really am happy that we are having these conversations about this film i did um i asked Andashe to please 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 submit this to axe wound i believe it was in 2019 and mm-hmm. it was again no it was 2018 it was definitely 2018 and um hannah it made hannah cry oh hannah has Hannah lost her father um, uh, a few uh, a year years back. So, and again, have, losing a parent that was she was really close to. And I can, and when she talks about her dad, I'm like, I can see totally why they were two peas in the pod. And mm-hmm. then this was right after I lost my mother. So I'm having a different response to this movie <laughs> than I did before because we're both and we're both having this kind of like connection of like how moving this film this film is. Because it is about it is about all three of those things. That's how I that's why I incorporated my own personal story into kind of like breaking down into kind of talking about what I think this um this film means when when she when Zendashi says idolatry, when she says resentment and when she says grief. And I think she's trying to like and again, I think that means different things for different people. But even when you get to that to that really hard hitting one, which is grief, not everyone has experienced this yet. Um one of, one of my favorite movies because my mother was my mother was a Denzel Washington fiend and whenever and one of my but one of my favorite movies that Denzel Washington did was John Q and some things just some some lines from movies just don't leave your memory and they always kind of stay in your consciousness for whatever reason um and so having that experience now for me it's when in John Q when basically Denzel is fighting for his son's life um he doesn't he's a working class man they don't have the right the quote-unquote right health insurance in order for him to, for his son to get a heart transplant and he's driven to having to take the the, the uh, hospital hostage in order to make sure that his son his life is saved um and one of the lines it's a really simple line he just says i'm not going to bury my son my son is going to bury me and i think that's how I think I I really feel like that's how all parents I will say probably more or less um feel about their relationship with their children. They don't ever want to 
that's the, the quote unquote natural way, the natural life cycle is for your parent to go first. Even mm-hmm. as kids, we're not, we may think that and accept that subconsciously, but until it happens, we don't really, we're just like, wait a minute. No, I, we weren't done, but no, this was not, you know, we're like kind of taken aback by it too. We don't want that to happen. Um, and I will say this, I was thinking about this earlier too. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of free associating here, but before my mom died, I was always kind of just hyper vigilant about my own safety and about being on point and on top of that, because I didn't really care about what happened to me in the way that I thought about what would it, what would it do to my mother if something happened to me? Mm-hmm. Like that was always more of a concern for me than anything else. Like to fathom her, I don't, because I, you, I felt how deeply she loved me and how deeply she regretted a lot of the things that she did. And she, and to, and God forbid, please don't let anything happen to me because I don't want this woman to completely lose her mind. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I, that's kind of how it felt because I just, you, that's just, that's just the intensity <laughs> of um, her, her care. I think that she had for me. I don't know how easy easier or i don't know how it's supposed to feel for us when we are the ones left behind and to deal with losing our parents Mm -hmm. and it was even sadder to kind of see a little girl kind of have to deal with that i don't know yeah well yeah i mean you think it's not like you prepare for it like I had um, the type of anxiety where I always thought somebody was going to die. It was just like a thing with me. I always thought because my uh, we lived with my my dad's mother, my grandmother, and she was constantly ill. So I don't know. I could say 20 times we were thought, well, this is it, you know, (laughs) but she lived to like 101. But wow. Yeah, she is. She's pretty gangster. She wasn't happy. She lived 101. (laughs) She was not happy about it, but. Um, I have to say like that anxiety came from always seeing my grandmother rush to the hospital or, you know, thinking, oh, she's going to die. Or like (laughs) her famous line was, what did I do to be this sick? Did I kill a priest in a past life? Wow. (laughs) Like, oh, that's deep. (laughs) But yeah, I, I, I don't even know when it started, but. I was worried that my parents were going to die before I was old enough to handle it. And even when I was old enough to quote unquote, old enough to handle it, I couldn't handle it, (laughs) you know? So I don't know. I just, I think maybe in a way it might be easier for our parents to lose us because they had this blind faith in their, in their faith. They're very, my parents were very Catholic and very religious. And so they might deal with grief and obviously the more human side of it, but also they would say, well, this is what God wanted. I 100% know my parents would be like, this is what God wanted, you know? So I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I obviously don't know. I think they would obviously be devastated, but it's weird because in my loss of my parents, I'm still like, I mean, I could talk about it now and it's, you know, not as painful, but it doesn't, I think you get, you get to, you get, you find ways around it, around that pain, but it's still there. 
yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going off on a tangent, but. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I don't think you're rambling or anything at all. I, um, Again, we're just kind of sharing and we are showing how films become an extension of allowing us to deal with our own, allowing us to reflect, I think, on our own personal lives and how certain films can ignite certain emotions within us. And I think Blood Runs Down is is a that is a sledgehammer for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I just add to um, I I okay I'm gonna compare. I'm just gonna flat out compare. You see them, and it's that's a sledgehammer, and it's just coming at you. Blah boom boom boom. Where you have paralysis and you have blood runs down, and those two films do it with such uh, care and subtlety, and you know in a in a therapeutic way. Where you see, um, especially in Bloods Run Down, Blood Runs Down, a little Anna comes out the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Jessica may or may not. We kind of we're kind of like, we don't know what's going to happen to her. But also, she seeks help, and like, there's like, there are um, ways that these characters are dealing with their situation so that they can kind of find a remedy, you know. Whereas yes. like them which is supposedly done by or or like executive produced and produced by black creators does nothing with that it just does nothing in that way so this is why i think our conversation with about these films is so important because there are creators out there that are creating black horror um and and taking aspects of life lived experiences and fashioning a narrative a horror narrative that is um well thought out well written well acted and they need a chance and i just i'm so tired of seeing these um you know big flashy splashy pieces of garbage overtaking these beautiful little pieces so that i've said my piece (laughs) yeah that 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 makes such a yeah that makes such a huge impact if they are allowed to see uh if other eyes are on them and see them um i also yeah just seeing i i i I feel like both zendashi and arshane are can not not that they are i'll say they can be at times like a lot of us are um or can be i'm sorry (laughs) frustrated uh because um I, and I, and I, I think, or maybe I'm projecting. I let me just say this: I think I'm frustrated for them because I am so deeply, fiercely in their corner when it comes to their work and their output and their creative ideas. Everything that they do, I think, is so I, I can't rave about it enough. I really can't. Um, even. That I like even down to the again those little details about like even when you see the picture of, um, you know, uh, Elise and Anna when Anna was an infant and how like the little things like the the, the little uh, horror things that unnerve that unnerve you like when, when you see the picture normal and then the faces are distorted like that's a like that kind of like those kind of like um little things there's more to that story but I've I've seen I've seen pictures and I've heard instances where no joke like again this all depends on your belief but people who have been who have been who have 
who have photos taken of them and they've had and those faces have kind of like come up like it's like in the devil's advocate that movie with keanu reeves i believe yeah happened i've seen that in pictures before and i've heard people say they were in pictures before and those people have been possessed not like not the exorcist possessed but possessed where they've done really ugly unseemly things where they're evil where they're either either mean to each other or they've actually hurt people um and i've had personal experience with this so Again, I not I, I haven't had a face distortion, but I've been unfortunately in the realm of people who've had that had had that happen to them with photos, um, just uh, photos being maybe evidential or indicative of some kind of like temporary possession of something mm-hmm. not of, of a of a of a bad spirit or an evil spirit, like um, a bad vibe kind of thing that comes through that's a little that yeah that goes a lot deeper than bad vibe for sure um (laughs) yeah so also the bathtub it also has kind of um uh the the bathtub also factors into this movie too and i think it has um it it has occult meanings but it also i think it has um non-christian other other non-christian uh spiritual meanings as well i'm not sure what it means in this movie in particular because again i'm not really well versed in the occult or uh non-christian non-christian religions but uh Mm -hmm. rebirth perhaps um i love when she does go to the ancestors where that the no i hate to say use the word portal but like how the bathtub becomes again a transition a a a prop of transition and it kind of shows her there Mm -hmm. and her 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 elation her 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 peace when she's there well water has uh water is known to have um supernatural qualities like um if you speak to um i know i used to watch paranormal shows with my sister and if they had like an indigenous advisor they'd be like well anything near water because water is like an element like um it 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 will pull elemental spirits um it's it there's a big uh part of the supernatural that is involved with water and water can also carry spirits and that sort of thing so that's really interesting that you brought that up yeah fantastic see this movie just gets more perfect as we talk about it but um (laughs) we will we i I certainly don't want to spoil it and i don't think you do either carolyn um again uh, we will we will provide every link possible as far as making these films accessible we hope people share this episode not just not just us blowing hot air but just to watch these films just again so this is Again, this episode was bred out of my ire of just like y'all. You you want to you want to say lean away this, lean away that, little Marvin this, little Marvin that. You want to screen cap all the white men who directed the episodes except for Janicia Bravo and blah blah blah. blah. That's cool, okay, but. We can't complain and not support the women that aren't getting the opportunities or the black people or the black women who aren't getting, who aren't getting the opportunities to have a 10 episode series on Amazon because you're not, no one's paying attention to them. And we have to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Preach. <laughs> no, that's all <laughs> I got to say. Cause I, 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 we, we, we've been talking about them to death. This has mm-hmm. been them, this, and them, that, and who's them, and them, they, this, that, and third. I'm done. <laughs> I'm okay? tired. Of, I'm tired of them. Them, they. Them, they. Uh- <laughs> That's what they say. The West Indies, them, they. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. And I think, um, and again, we don't all, we don't, clearly, we don't, we don't all agree. 
<laughs> we don't all have to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've read articles where people talked about how some, some things that were done really effective and really well. I do, I do like, I do like the idea that every, um, character had their own ghost that they were grappling with or some, or some sort of apparition. I, I like that, but again, it always it goes left when you look at the bigger picture. Um, so I think, I think there, there, there have been great points made by everyone, but I think Angelica Jade, uh, I'm sorry, she's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking when I say right. There's no right or wrong when it comes to cultural criticism. Um, fight me on that particular sentiment. There's no right or wrong. I, t- I try to teach my students that. My students always are so gun shy. They're just always afraid to like say what they want to say. And I'm just like, this class is all about, like, I'm not going to judge you for your opinion. This is, this is a course where you're, we're looking, where we are critically looking at media. We can make all of the assumptions in the world. I want you to understand the context in which this, these films are made and the times in which these films are made. But you're, 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 the way you feel about it is not right or wrong. It just is. And the way you interpret it, even the, your critical analysis, your critical look at it is not right or wrong either. Um, and don't be, don't be afraid to say that. And, you know, I, I'm the mediator here. Like if someone mm-hmm. is coming at you, I'm going to stop that and say, okay, chill. That's not all right. <laughs> this is this, mm-hmm. this, this class, this media talking about media, critically unpacking it is about discussing it in a way where no one is right or wrong. That, that just doesn't mm-hmm. exist to me in this realm. And I think that's the same with them. No one's right or wrong. I just, I definitely more on, angelica's side with this because it because she's right like everything that i think everything that i'm frustrated about is encompassed in that particular sentence like and again there was even points in this in this in the show where i just like i literally just kind of checked out where i just kind of got bored or kind of just like my brain was just kind of i was nodding off so there's also for me a boredom aspect to it as well but again we we're done that's all i kind of wanted to say about that (laughs) Well, I think I think this is one of my favorite uh, episodes that we've done because we talked about these uh, women who are making horror their own way. And I really hope that they have a chance to show a larger audience what they can do, you know? I'm sure they will. When I was talking to a, a, co- a friend and a colleague about this, he, he's, he is on, I don't think he's looking, I, I, I'm going to guess he's not looking at it in the in the way I am for for a lot of different reasons but he's hopeful about black horror and and thinks of them as at least kind of a step in the right direction and I'm like nah I am hopeful for like you know black creators especially black women to get the kind of to, to make the kind of movies like the two women we mentioned um or these two movies that we looked at, that's what I want to see more of. I don't really care about this um, glossy stuff that gets um, pushed to the wide world. Like, I I think it's time that we, I think it's time that we saw other black women doing this too. Um, Like there's, I mean, the, the history of features as far as my research that I could find and I'm going to take a guess that I have a really comprehensive list here, but it goes back to 2009. There's a woman named Hanel M. Culpepper, and she directed a horror film called Within. I think it was a TV movie, if I'm not, if I'm not um, 
if I'm not mistaken. And then mm-hmm. Mio Shabin, who you can see in Horror Noir, she directed, she's super indie. She always, she's a very DIY filmmaker. And again, that's somebody else you should, should, should support too. But she did a feature film that I believe is on YouTube called Camera Phone 2, horror film in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. as far as other features, you have, um, of course, Nia, Deca- Nia DaCosta, who's going to come out with Candyman, hopefully this year. You know, we, 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 we never know. Because uh, God forbid this movie be released without a theater release. Like you just can't <laughs> re-release it when people can go back to the theaters comfortably again. I mean, you have to push it back. It can't just go on HBO Max. You know, it has to be in a theater. Like it has to have box <laughs> office receipts, right? Like we can't just watch it on our own or we can't just have watch part. I mean, you know what? Anyway, Mariama Diallo well known for Hairwolf, a fantastic short film as well. She is directing a film called Master. I don't think there's a release year for that just yet. Also, Reagan Gomez, um, the feature film that she's going to be directing is called Charcuterie. I believe that's going to be filmed in Philly. I am so excited. I want to go on set. I don't know if I'm able to go on set, but I'm going to try and go on set because I want to see that. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about that one. And uh, Thembi Banks is another director. She is directing a feature film called Juju. There's a Shadow and Act uh, article on that currently. Um, not currently. I forget. It's from a while back, but I can link all this. And also, last but not least, so far as far as Black women directing horror films, looks like Nikki Atujusu finally got her yes, and she is directing her script, Nanny. And... Um, that's going to be a feature film. They just, I think they just announced that this week. Uh, so excited about that. I'm, I'm just curious to see how that's going to pine out, uh, pine out, pan out. <laughs> and basically this film, the, the, the uh, synopsis is, is uh, interesting. I don't know if the character's name is still going to be Aisha, but it says Aisha is an, is an undocumented nanny caring for a privileged child on the Upper East Side of New York. As she prepares for the arrival of the son she left behind in her native country, a violent supernatural presence invades her reality, threatening the American dream she's painstakingly pieced together. So again, we're going with the, again, the the supernatural theme, the presence, all that stuff is going to come, the the American dream, that, that term is coming up again. But I think it's in a way that, again, it's, this is really black female centric. This is not about anyone else besides this black woman and what it means to be an undocumented worker in the United States. And what does, and you know, depending on the, her native country, I think, I think every person from a native country has their own idea of what the American dream is, especially for them as individuals, not just collectively as a culture, but individuals. So I'm interested to see what what pops with all of these films, the films that you can see now, and also the films that uh, are going to be released. Um, I believe Nia DaCosta is the first Black woman to direct a feature horror film to be wide released to audiences. So she's making history in that sense. Wow. Well, yeah. You know, there's uh, one Canadian um, Black female director who is making waves. Um, Her name is Kelly Fife Marshall, and she did a short film called Black Bodies. And it's basically based on um, an incident where her and her friends had the police called on them because they were renting an Airbnb. So um, 
that she's making waves because I believe she was nominated for um, an Oscar. Let me just see. Oh, I think she won like several awards for it because it, it um, I think it debuted at TIFF. And um, I can see, and that while it's not exactly genre in terms of horror, it is genre because it uses like spoken word, um, some very artistic ways of depicting like Black Death. So, I mean, it's something to kind of also compare with them where it talks about Black trauma, but not in a way that clobbers you over the head. It's very artistically done. So I want to see her get some money so that she can make something that I hope will be genre because uh, she's very talented. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, sadly, I don't think that there are a lot of black Canadian uh, women filmmakers who are making genre right now. Mm-hmm. However, um, I know I'm working with my festival to kind of get that ball moving, but that will be coming at some point <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. Never discredit what you're doing especially in in your neck of the woods. I think you don't give yourself enough credit for being a game changer behind the scenes. Like, um, I don't know about you, but I love being the person that people don't see and just make, mm-hmm. just being the, being the wizard behind the curtain. And when I, you know, that's why I get so, that's why I really had a, a time with a particular situation and that I won't say publicly, but you know about, and a couple other people who mm-hmm. are listening to this know about why I got so angry because I feel like when I can't have the influence to help bridge, to be that bridge, to help people in, to get their foot in the door. I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I feel like I'm failing in my career when I can't do that. But I, under, but I understand sometimes it's bigger than me and I can't always be the ones making the final decisions. And that's fine. Um, it's just, it's a lesson learned, I think, more than anything else. But I think that you're doing, but you have a, you are in a u- unique and re- really fantastic space to be able to, again, I think you're doing the same thing, just, just in a different country. <laughs> Yeah, well, fingers crossed because I don't know this pandemic, Panini, <laughs> Pandora. Oh God, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just uh, not fun. Yeah. Anyway, I guess shall we wrap it up that way? <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap by saying that this was this was really melanated. Like this whole conversation, like I don't even think there was a white person. Well, we had Antoinette Lavecchia in Paralysis, but um, mm. but from what I heard here, she's like mad cool. Like she's yeah, she's kind of down, man. And she was in an episode of SVU. Oh, I can't... <laughs> she a good one too. She was really good in that episode too. Like don't front on some of these guest stars. Some of these guest stars act better than some of the principal characters or the principal actors. We thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Where can people find you, Ashley? <laughs> At Ashley Takes Note on Twitter. Carolyn. Uh, you can find me um, at VFD Pixie on Twitter, although I'm taking a break because Twitter's breaking my brain, man. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, y'all.